G'day everybody, and for those who have come in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast. Ago, he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck, and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom! The ghost who walks the Enemies beware The phantom's always there But you won't find the phantom Welcome to episode 176, where we chat to Timothy Boyle, who was the writer and producer for the 2010 Phantom movie that almost was created. For those who want a new Phantom movie, this is a must podcast to watch and all to listen to. My name is Jermaine, and tonight I am joined by Dan and Stephen. How are you guys going? Yeah, good, Jim. Good, Steve. Good to be with you guys. Um, really looking forward to tonight. Yeah. Yep. G'day, fellas. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm ready and raring to go. All right. Well, we're not going to have a chit chat tonight. Um, it's actually this is actually what's on the on the uh, run sheet. No chit chat. So yeah. let's strap in and let's get us um, gone. Well, be- before uh, we do, before we do, I know we said we're not going to chit chat. But have you <laughs> read the latest Phantom, like the latest issue? Uh, no. Yes, I have. What about it, Steve? Well, did you read the Phantom forum at the back? Uh, tell us about it, Steve. Well, just happens to be in the latest issue of The Phantom, at, available at all good new, newsstands and local comic shops right now. There's you a letter there from a, from a Rennie who has asked Dudley what he thinks the possibility of another Phantom film, film being made is. And Dudley does his best at ignoring the question altogether because he's, there was a whole <laughs> bunch of other points that Rennie asked about. <laughs> Yeah, what a coincidence, eh? It just goes to show that a lot of Phantom fans still want a Phantom movie. And um, Dan, I believe you did a bit of uh, Googling. Uh, well, I think you might have Googled and I, then I just followed the links. So. Yeah, that was me, actually, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, so there is, uh, there is a few news sites and that sort of thing from about 2008 that talk about a, a Phantom movie and the possibility of a Phantom movie. Um, and, um, you know, we'll uncover it over the course of this as to where it was at and what happened. But uh, so it was in the works and it, and it came out publicly, but, uh, but never actually happened. Hmm. So, yeah, so now this has all come about because in episode 173, we had a podcast with um, Tom Sillinger, um, who told us that he worked with Timothy around 2010 on a new fan movie. Now, in the podcast, we all got excited, and uh, I know other fans did as well because we've we've had comments about, oh, oh, new fan movie, Timothy Boyle, you got to get him on, you got to get him on. So, a huge thanks to Tom for hooking us up and introducing us to Tim, um, and we have managed to do that. So uh, let us introduce our guest for today. Uh, he is the writer, producer, and the director. Um, no, he, sorry, he is a writer, producer, and a director, uh, Timothy Boyle, and he was key for the proposed movie, The Phantom Legacy. How are you, Timothy? Mate, I'm very well. How are you? Good to be here. Yeah, no, well, thank you for joining us. Uh, it's a huge, huge honour uh, for myself and I know for the other guys as well. Um, it's been a very exciting couple of weeks trying to keep it bottled up and, and uh, not splurted all out and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. So, now, obviously, some of the links with some past interviews with the movie back a decade ago and your IMDb page will be linked in our show notes. 
Um, but for those who are, I guess, too lazy to click on a link, um, Timothy, do you want to start off and just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're based, kind of your, your age or your age range, uh, a bit about your career and, um, and kind of go from there? Um, sure. Uh, so I've been a filmmaker since I, guess I started about 1994. Uh, I started on television doing, uh, doing some shows on Channel 9 and uh, got into production that way. Found myself making my first feature in about 98. Uh, and since then, I've made four or five other movies, uh, some low-budget independent films uh, over the time. And uh, I've just released a movie about a month ago called On Halloween, which has uh, just been released in the States and over in Europe. And uh, it's doing pretty well. It's, it's making some money. And I think now that Halloween's come and gone, it'll probably be another year before we'll sort of do any more sort of movement on that film for a while. But, um, but that was a fun movie to make. And I made that as a little side project because I was uh, in the middle of finishing off another film uh, and we sort of ran out of money with all the visual effects. So I decided to make another movie, which we can then sell so we can chip away and, and make some more uh, visual effects so we can finish the other one. So I made a movie to finish another movie, if that makes sense. Uh, and uh, so, yes, yeah, so I've been doing it for a while. I've been a writer-director for a while, um, you know, and uh, I got involved with The Phantom back in 2008. So I ran into a... Uh, 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 executive producer of the original Phantom film with Billy Zane and uh, ran into him at a, at a cafe and uh, he basically said, hey, listen, I've got a script for a new movie. You know, I hear that you're a filmmaker. Are you interested in having a read? And I was like, hell yeah. Well, you know, it's the Phantom. I want to read what the new Phantom movie is going to be like. And I was just excited as you guys are. <laughs> and, um, and so I read it and it was just terrible. It was just everything... <laughs> I mean, I could barely even read it. It was incoherent. It was just a mess. And, uh, and I said that to them. And he said, well, if, if you think you can do better, and I'm like, I know I can do better. And so um, they basically said, well, we'll put together a treatment and we'll pitch it to the studios. And so I did and, and they liked it. And, um, and basically I, I flew over to New York and I sat down with the, uh, with the comic studio and I, I pitched the idea of the movie. So wow. it was uh, on to young enough. That, that in itself is a funny story. I'll tell you about that a bit later on, but. <laughs> so um, when you when you were talking to the the executive producer and it's, it's Bruce Sherlock who was uh, his only credit on IMDb is actually um, the Phantom film um, right. from '96. Um, what what did you think of the '96 film for a start? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not a fan. Um, I thought it was um, it it wasn't what I wanted to see in a in a Phantom film. It was there's things I liked about it, um, but for me on a personal level, I just felt like just the storytelling in itself just wasn't where I saw comic books and where I saw this character. Like I saw understanding, I think what made it really interesting for me as, as a writer to take on writing the Phantom legacy was that it was a, it was coming from a place where I wasn't a hardcore fan. So I knew the Phantom obviously as everybody in Australia does. Um, and I'd read the comics growing up, but, but not to a stage where I was like, oh man, this is, this is my comic book. This is what I'm mm -hmm. into. Uh, and I think what that did was actually give me a position where I wasn't too attached to anything in particular. And when I went back and actually looked at the comic book, I did a lot of research on it. And, and I found this, it's, it's really interesting sort of seeing the similarities. You can actually see where, where, you know, even the, stuff with Star Wars where it sort of ties in where you have, you know, Old Man Moz and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, you have the twins, male and females. I mean, there's <laughs> just, there's a lot going on there that I'm sitting here going, this is, this is like, 
you know, this is, this is good stuff. This is really, really good stuff. Um, and, you know, when I was commissioned, it was funny because when I was commissioned with the, with the, you know, to go and pitch the, the film in New York, we went to this restaurant called The Palms. And um, The Palms is a very famous steakhouse. And, uh, and, you know, they basically, they sell $100 steaks. And I've never had a hundred dollar steak before in my life, and so I'm really well, well, here's the thing, right? I thought, I thought because my pitch was just going to be so short because I thought they were just going to laugh me out of the room. Um, because what what the thing was, they they said to me they wanted to modernise the Phantom and make the Phantom relevant in today's day. And I thought, well, how do I do that? And I thought the only the best way I could do that is focus on on the twins because no one had really done that. And I thought, well, that that's a good way to modernise it how do we pass the mantle onto the twins? Well, the only real way you can do that is if you kill the phantom. So I thought... Hundreds of phantom fans have just knocked over the shock. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And I thought, I thought it was going to be the shortest pitch in the world. So I thought what I'll do is I'll just have this first 15 minutes of the movie where the phantom is just classic phantom in mm. classic uniform with his guns and you know, Dell by side, and just is just awesome. It's just doing everything that you've always wanted to see the Phantom do. And and I'd say absolutely, you, you've nailed that. Re- reading the, the first part of the script, you know, he's in the shadows. You, you don't see him as flashes and all that sort of stuff. You, yeah. you, you have encapsulated that brilliant. Well, yeah, you guys actually, I sent you guys a script to have a read, so you can at least know what I'm talking about. So you guys read the film. You, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for that. That's uh, it's incredible. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, look, I, a lot of love went into it, you know, and I, I really, I mean, it's such a great story, you know. What I mean, like it's 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 it was easy for me to do, but it, it certainly took a lot of time and energy. But I was just going to say, the whole thing was that that you know, and I thought I thought this is going to be the shortest pitch in the world because you know they, they were talking about they were talking about well, the Phantom. Maybe we can modernise him by the reason why he's a pur- he's got the purple suit and stuff is because it actually goes invisible in the jungle. Or he has lots of gadgets and stuff. And I'm like, dude, he's not the Predator. And he's not Batman. Like, he's, he's the Phantom. Um, so the only thing I sort of took literal in a different sort of twist was that I, I kind of did make him as powerful as, you know, Ten Tigers and Strong. You know, I, made him, I did make him physically yeah. strong. And I, I made his eyes go white because, you know, the whole classical look of the Phantom is you always see him he's the Phantom he has those white eyes and I thought well how do you how do you create a, a, a uniform that looks doesn't look ridiculous um, when you just have like you know how Billy Zane had his with the eyes it kind of it, you know it, it needed to be like if they, Billy Zane's eyes were white I would have been I would have been like man this is this is rock and roll yeah. and I thought well hang on a tip why can't I do that you know it, it's not it's not saying he can now fly it's just saying that their eyes can go a, a shade of pale of white. And then once I figured that that was the thing, and that's probably the only, the only sort of twist that I added outside of, um, you know, canon, I guess, is that I actually yeah. gave him a reason to have white eyes and that way he, he would look like the Phantom um, on screen. So, I mean, anyway, that was just my, my thoughts behind well, it. It's, so. it's actually a, a way of making the canon possible because the canon is the white eyes as exactly you've said so it's a way to be able to explain that and i think that um uh all fans would have forgiven um forgiven anything that possibly stepped outside of it to give us the white eyes because as you've said that's that's iconic you you mentioned billy zane there can i just throw a quote at you from uh an mtv article i read from 2008 Um, (laughs) this is this is you addressing the the idea of your film being a sequel 
Um, and you said, now there's one thing I need to set straight as the reporting is incorrect. This film is not a sequel. Boyle said on his MySpace blog, which kind of makes it as the old school. Um, it's a relaunch. It's a reboot of the comic franchise to the big scene, big screen. This film has nothing to do with the 1996 movie. So you were keen to to relaunch and, and start again um, and not be seen as that continuation of the Billy Zane film. Yeah, because um, Billy Zane came out and said he was very keen to be part of it. And I think I said something like, oh, there's nothing zany about my film, boom, boom. And, <laughs> and then I ran into him in a restaurant in... <laughs> in Beverly Hills and the guy apart from him being lovely he's a super lovely guy yeah. his biceps are bigger than my head <laughs> like like I'll, here am I thinking that oh look at me being really witty you know and saying stuff and I'm sitting there going this guy could squash me in a heartbeat this guy is just <laughs> he, he is massive he's just a big strong dude and so um so yeah I kind of I kind of, so uh, yeah, in, behind it, I mean, when I'm typing, I'm, I'm fine. But, you know, in real life, don't, yeah. And well, don't make Billy Zane, that's what I'm saying. He's a lovely guy, and it's almost 12 months to the day that he actually appeared on the podcast as well. We there you go. In, um, in- no, he's awesome. I, I've got a lot of time for him. And I think if now that a bit of time's passed, I think it'd be nice if, if, if this was to ever happen. It'd be nice to get him in there. Oh, and for him to be that 21st Phantom for the first 10, 15 minutes? Yeah. Yeah, I, I would have. I have no issues with that. So. Yeah. So. It'll be a nice little nod. Yeah. Well, I tried to do lots of little nods in there for, mm. for the fans because I think it. See, the way yeah. I sort of pitched it to the studio was that I said, "Look, you need to have a a story that doesn't have a scroll at the beginning, like no writing at the beginning, right? Don't don't yeah. do that." You, you want to have a story, and I, I pitched it kind of like like the Matrix. Like the the audience need to to follow Neo, and as Neo finds out what the Matrix is, the audience also finds out what the Matrix is. And so for me, it was is how do I create a world where Kit and like Kit doesn't know who the Phantom is. So as he discovers his heritage and his position, and yep. understands who his father and his forefathers were. And so does the audience. And yeah. that was, I think that was the important thing for me. So you, you're not telling the story about exposition. You, you, you're just going on a journey with this character. And, and I don't want to give too much away because you never know, the, the movie may get done eventually and what have you. But, but, um, you know, but in the end of the day, um, you, kind of, you kind of want to give a position where you can sort of let these characters sort of find their own feet. And, um, you know, I... There's nothing better than, as you would see with the Avenger movies and things like that, there's nothing better than having flawed characters because, mm. you know, having that redemption is, is like, super important in those character arcs. And, um, but, you know, the, the, doing the research in the film, you know, like I said, I, I took it very seriously because I really wanted to make sure I delivered something that was going to be, you know, that's going to be at a standard that the fans are going to really want. I, I, I took that situation as something that, that was like, you know, I need... I need to, there's a lot of responsibility on my shoulders for that. I needed to make sure I delivered something. So I, was, I am really impressed. Like, I'm really, I'm really sad that the movie hasn't been made. Um, it's, it's probably one of those sort of weird scenarios. We got so close to making it. We are in pre-production. We are in, um, in Hollywood. We are casting. Uh, we had meetings with some pretty big A-list Hollywood actors. Um, are you able to sh- share those names with us? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, it's a long time ago. We met with um, Liam Hentworth mm. um, back in the day. He was, you know, because we were looking at a young guy. We, we'd met with, oh, actually, isn't this terrible? I forgot her name. She was um, in The Vampire Dice. Um, we, met with, we met with a couple of actors, but we were looking at um, Diane Lane before she went over and did um, Superman, um, we were, you know, to play Diana Walker. Um, so we'll, we'll, you know, we're, we're having a chat with a couple of really sort of decent, decent people. Mm. And, um, and we had money coming. We had $86 million lined up. Oh, and at that time in 2008, that was, that was enough to make this movie. Um, and then the money stopped and I'm sitting in LA and I was actually house sitting at the time. Um, another very famous Australian <laughs> couple they were they they needed they had turtles and they needed their turtles fed so i was i was house sitting over there in, in uh, <laughs> just off you know Mulholland drive sort of thing and um and they they called me up and said they're coming back to la so basically get out of get out of their house um <laughs> and my paycheck stopped coming in so the money was not coming in i was sitting there going i, I don't know what's like, happening to the world i've just basically lost the place i was living in and um and and the movie just kind of went on freeze and we found out that the money was in a um, an escrow fund um that was coming in from a producer that was funded completely by colonel Gaddafi's son <laughs> and the yanks went in and took out Qaddafi and froze all of his assets, which included his son's assets, which then trickled its way down to me. Yeah. So I had no idea. I was just, I had a producer that was putting the money in and, and it basically, the, 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 the film fund just froze. Well, so you have the yanks to blame for it. <laughs> well, no, look, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know. I think I might have, you know, metaphorically <laughs> dodged a bullet and possibly yeah. dodged a bullet. I don't know. Like, <laughs> the link possibly a good thing. Because of General Gaddafi, you'd be... <laughs> <laughs> I, I make I make films for Gaddafi. Well, that's the thing. You never know, really. You know, you kind of, you got to be careful who you, who you get your money from. So that, so that was it. And so the money, the movie went from oh. being um, greenlit and going to frozen standby. And, mm-hmm. and I've been standing by now for, you know, 12 years. So, so I did want to address the, the jumba in the room or the elephant in the room and just ask that question, why didn't the movie get made? It comes down to Colonel Gaddafi. Colonel giving... Gaddafi. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And they're trying to say, you, you wouldn't even write that, you know what I mean? Like, it's just <laughs> Surely there's a movie in that. <laughs> I've got the news footage of him being captured now. Just yeah, to... yeah. It was, at <laughs> that that point, it was at that point when my money froze. Oh, oh. <laughs> So they just needed to hold off for, what, another year or so? And then we could have been been nice. Well, I knew I should have had problems because I was was teamed up. It was funny because they didn't want me to direct. Like, I was really pushing to direct. They really liked my script. And I was trying to explain to them that I'm a writer-director. And if they like my script and they like my vision. So they actually teamed me up with um, Brett Leonard. I don't know if you remember Brett. But he did Virtuosity and The Lawnmower Man and things like that. And so Brett was pretty big in the 90s. And... um, and so I sort of got to know Brett pretty well. And he's, he's, his attitude was like, well, you're going to be directing, but I'll just share the director's credit. And I'm like, man, come on. Like, if, you're, if you're not going to be doing anything and it's just me, then and I don't really co-direct and uh, it's just not, it's not how I do things. And, um, and so when I came back to Australia, that's when I went, well, the, their main issue was that I'd never done a comic book film before. So I wrote my own comic book film. And, um, and we shot that. And that's the movie that, that's taken me nearly 10 years to finish because a visual effects supervisor was like, yeah, man, you can do all this stuff. You can do this, you can do that, it's fine. And, 
And so I just took his word for it. But what I didn't realize is that, you know, he can do all that stuff. It's just going to take him a decade to do it. So <laughs> it's, um, it's just, it's been a long journey. And so that's been a, a painful sort of scenario for me because we've got a, another good sort of superhero movie that's just sitting there. Uh, and that's now called Shadow Wars. Originally it was called The Half Dead. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we had John Reese davies read the script and loved it and he just came out and just did the film, you know, it was amazing. And so working with, you know, John, who's, who's worked in, you know, Lord of the Rings and Indiana Jones and, you know, he's worked with amazing people, you know. And, and um, I remember actually the last day of shooting with John, he said to me, uh, you know, he has that voice, that, that Gimli voice, that lad. <laughs> he said, lad, you remind me of another filmmaker i'm like please say steven spielberg please say steven. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes peter p pj peter jackson i'm like eh, okay yeah, i could do that <laughs> um so it wasn't spielberg but you know that was that was kind of fun but it was great you know and working working with um with johnny stadies was was an awesome i mean such a hollywood icon uh so to, to, to work on a movie with him was just fantastic and uh he actually said a, he said a funny thing on the day one of shooting he said, uh, on the second setup, so it wasn't the first setup, but the second setup, he said to me, uh, he said, lad, I think you should put the camera here. You should have the money, the actress, which is Tasma Walton, stand here. I will stand here and we'll do our scene this way. And uh, I looked at it and I said, no, actually, I think I, I prefer it my way, which is just you here and here. And he goes, good. He goes, I have no effing clue what I'm talking about. I just wanted to see what type of director you were. And, uh, and, and after that, he, never, he just, he goes, no, he knows what he wants. And he's, whereas if I'd listened to him, uh, he would have been busting my balls the whole time. Lost respect for you. Sorry? He would have lost respect for you. Absolutely. But here's the, here's the, the, the irony to that. If what he said was better than what I thought, I would have gone with it. I would have gone, hey, that's a great idea. So I'm lucky what he said was, wasn't better because uh, he would have got respect <laughs> and I would have got the one good shot at the film. So, yeah. So, in preparation for this podcast, as you said before, we've um, I've printed mine out. Uh, <laughs> boys, I'm going to be able to see it, but we've all Mine's been. Still on PDF. Um, <laughs> oh, well, I've printed it out at work. Um, <laughs> I don't get paid enough, so I might as well get something out of it. Um, <laughs> we got uh, version five of the script, um, yeah, and this yeah. is going to be on our Patreon, um, which is a huge thank you uh, for allowing us to do well, that. I can show it here um, if you want. I can be really tricky and do this for you. Whoops, let's okay. touch the There we go. I can do this. This this right here. There it is there. Yeah. So <laughs> again, if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see this. So that's it. That's the hundred and there you go. Read fast. <laughs> and so you do want text going scrolling up the screen? Well, <laughs> and and yeah, and we do have to say a huge thank you, Tim, yeah. for sharing that with us. We really appreciate it. And then your generosity in uh, leaving us put it in the the P3 and make it accessible for our patrons um, is just fantastic. And I know that that's going to be something that they all get a real kick out of um, being able to read this story because we've certainly enjoyed it. And um, and yeah. We're all gagging to get this film made now. <laughs> yeah. See what happens. <laughs> now, I was just wondering, uh, guys, could we like maybe just spend a couple of minutes talking about what we liked, without giving the spoiler away, but what we liked about the script? And then um, I'm sure we've got a million and other questions we would like to um, uh, ask you, um, Timothy. So, um, uh, Stephen, what, what, what do you like about the script, buddy? Well, oh, the, oh, well, the stacks, but... Um, 
<laughs> uh, with Tim saying before about um, wanting to make it a modern film, but also staying true to, true to the traditions and um, and developing characters, as he was t- uh, talking about before. All the characters that we know and love are there. We've got the Phantom, we've got Dana, we've got Devil, we've got the twins, we've got Luaga, we've got um, uh, General uh, Bababu. As soon as I saw his name on the script, he's going to do a shifty as soon as, because he's all acting all nice. I thought, here we go. Our fans going to know that something shifty is yeah, about yeah. to happen. Um, who else we got? Well, you know, then when we say legacy, we've also got Luaga's got sons. We've got Lotha. We've got um, Colonel Warabu. Colonel Warabu. Um, old man Moz. Patrol, old man Moz Garan. And um, just thinking, yes, this this fella knows the Phantom. He's he's done. He's either a fan or he's done a really um, good lot of good mm-hmm. little homework because every um, character is treated with the respect that they should be. Yeah. and you can see the characters from the the comic doing what they're doing in the movie. Um, mm-hmm. No, I've never seen um, this movie in a comic book. <laughs> it's um, it's very much a, a new take, uh, a new story. Um, so, yeah, those are all things that I particular. And I don't want to give away my, my favourite part of the, of the movie was at the end, and I don't want to spoil it just in case it does be, um, is made. But um, the fandom's final confrontation with with General Bababu um, up there, and he's got to rescue um, uh, Luagas. And you know he just strips away all that extra stuff, and it's and it's pure Phantom. And oh, I was thinking, yes, this is how you end a Phantom movie. This is what you do. <laughs> I, um, oh, Dan, I'll let you go first. Oh, I just um, I, I was just so engaged from the first two yeah. pages, as Stephen said, with General Bababoo there, and initially. You know, it's not spoiling to say the first five minutes of a movie initially um, is presented as the the good guy or helping President Liger. A fan will know that, hang on, that's not going to be quite right. Or that that's really the first test for the fan is to go, hang on, where is this going to go? Is General Bababu going yeah. to be treated like a good guy? And, and because there is another bad guy presented. Um, but then the moment that that happens and he becomes a bad guy, you're like, okay, as a fan who knows the character, I earned a little bit of insight that uh, regular people wouldn't have. You can still see how non-fans would enjoy the film. Um, And then that just kept happening. There were just so many things that um, as a fan through the film, you you would know, you know, anywhere between five minutes and split seconds Mm. between the the regular viewer, um, what was going on. So there was that little bit of a payoff for, for being a fan. And then it was just such a, you know, the, 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 scenes at the start with the phantom in full um, phantom mode, you know, working in the shadows you, you see him there he's gone you know it's um yeah it, it was really capturing from the first moments and then yeah those payouts up for the fans as uh, as you read through that was what really uh, sold it for me yeah well uh timothy i will have to say you actually got me into trouble because i was supposed <laughs> to be putting my children to bed um but i had my phone in the light out there and i was reading it reading it and my wife ended up saying look you're not helping putting the kids to bed, right? You just go out and finish that. And uh, I think it was about 10 or 11 o'clock by the time I actually did that. Uh, and then I was trying to message the other guys, but they had already fallen asleep. So, um, it was <laughs> no, and everything that they said is, is totally accurate. Um, you know, it, it was a great story. It, it respected the Phantom. Um, you know, um, you, you may mention of, of the, of the white with the eyes. That was, Probably the only um, 
key I, difference between... I call it a, holiday, a Hollywood tweak is what I call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can and, live with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not like there's magical skulls um, <laughs> or anything like that. It is a minor tweak, which in a sense does add to the character, does add to the... Um, uh, the appearance, the mysteriousness of the character. Um, and I liked how for the fans, they would have just seen all the Easter eggs and just would have loved them. But for mm-hmm. the, the new fans or the casual fans, it would have been key moments that they would have um, been able to learn. I guess it would have been very similar as if you're a, if you're a DC or a Marvel probably Marvel's probably the better one where there's all Easter eggs in there. So for the, the Marvel fans, they love it and they get all these, they get all giddy and silly and fanboyish over little Easter eggs, which is what we would have done in this movie. But for a, a casual reader, which I am to a Marvel movie, it's still, you know, you can still follow and you can still enjoy it as well. So I, I thought that was, I thought you tailored very well for the, the new fan as well as the fanboys, which the three of us all. (laughs) I mean, I I really felt it was important to make sure that the people got, like the fans got the movie that they wanted. But I also wanted to make sure it was accessible to anyone who's never even heard of the character. So, and that's why I thought it's really important to, to not have the exposition, but just to show that movement. And there's a moment, I mean, my, my favorite part, of the film, and I, I, I was without giving anything away. But for me, my favourite part is is when there's a moment at the film where you start questioning whether Heloise wasn't meant to be the Phantom, mm. and um, whether she was meant to be it, and Kit wasn't. You know, and, and there's a, there's a moment in there where you know she's always been told that well she can't be because her eyes don't go white. And, um, and there's, yeah, there's just a moment in there that, that really, for me as a filmmaker, just really works. And, um, and that opens up to this. Because when I pitched the idea, I pitched it as a continuing story. So I had two Phantom films, which we had tied down, which was the first one was Phantom Legacy, um, which is funny because originally I was with my mates. We were um, working out of um, a little office in, um, in Hollywood. And upstairs, the guys were doing Tron 2.0. And when they found out my movie kind of got put on hold, they changed their name from Tron 2.0 to Tron Legacy. So um, <laughs> that was fun. I was like, come on. <laughs> um, Wait till the corpse is cold. <laughs> no, exactly, right? <clears throat> well, the other funny thing was that we, we had a production designer who was attached to our film, um, which we had some really interesting ideas, um, especially with the flowers and the, the sort of the, the ink and the stuff that goes on the body, and, you know, the yesteryear stuff um, in the film. And um, and his name's Owen Patterson. And Owen ended up being the production designer for Black Panther. Oh. And there is a lot of my little, hey, man, this is what I want to do in Black Panther, especially yeah. in the behave stuff. I'm like, hmm. Yeah, I've seen that too. So, um, so there's, yeah, there's a bit of, I mean, it's just an incestuous sort of thing where everybody kind of sort of takes ideas from where they hear things or what yeah. have you. And so, you know, it's just life in a big city really. But, um, but you know, we, we were pretty far down the track to making this film and it's just, you know, it's, it's heartbreaking that it didn't go there. But, um, mm. yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, if we get enough people rallying behind it, people sort of, you know, you never know. 
I mean, it's at the moment, um, you know, like I said, we had a second movie um, which was originally titled Phantom Retribution. And then that then in, in theory would have moved into the Mandrake film, which I've got this killer script for Mandrake, which, um, you know, would be amazing to make as well. And then my hope was then to go into Flash Gordon and then go into Defenders of the Earth. And that was my, my plan. Uh, and at the time, the, the CEO said, uh, so this is 2008, and I sort of, I sort of laid out my path for the next six years of, you know, this universe. I said, we just basically shoot Phantom 1 and 2 back to back. We see how they go. If they work, then we go straight into Mandrake and Flash. And then, and because the rights weren't owned by me, but I only had the rights to, to Phantom, and I, I looked like I could get the rights to Mandrake. Mm. So at the time, it was like, well, I could do this one, two, three, but it doesn't work without Flash Gordon. Yeah. Like I, I needed that in order to do the Defenders of the Earth. You need and that. There was just no that. way I was going to get the Flash Gordon rights. They, they were just tied up with other people. So it kind of went dead in the water there and um and rocky shepherd just said there's no way people want to see that many people like that many superheroes in a film <laughs> <laughs> and i said to him i said man dude seriously they, they are they, they've just done cap like they've just done iron man and they were shooting captain america at the time and i said they're gonna do the avengers they're gonna do the avengers we can mm. we can just get we don't have as many characters to go through we can just go one two three get these out and we can do the avengers and, um, you know, the equivalent of the Defenders of the Earth. And um, anyway, shoulda, coulda, woulda, didn't happen. <laughs> and, you, and you planted the seeds even in this one with Lothar appearing. And so there mm. was that way for it to, to unfold. Well, because I, I planned for it the whole way. You know, yeah. when I found out that Lothar was part of the Banda tribe and, and I thought, well, then he needs to be part of this film because, because then I can have him actually entering the Mandrake at the end of Retribution, entering the Mandrake theatre mm. where he ends mm. up you know, being with Mandrake and that yeah. way you have this continuance, this, this story that continues and it's about building the universe. Um, and, you know, Lothar's in, in, in this film is a great character. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's really funny because I, I reread the film when I found out I was doing this, I thought, man, I better have a look at the script again. <laughs> <laughs> it's decades since I've read it. And um, it was funny seeing just how, how relevant it is in today's day. Yeah. Like, it it's still been made. Well, you've got everything from people claiming false election results through to TV <laughs> brainwashing. I mean, it's all there. It's very like, topical, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you could have done that yesterday. It seems some, that, that yeah. yeah, like sometimes you get stuff and it's like it dates very easily, but this has not dated at all. No. Well, it, could, it could quite easily still be made, you know, and then, or it could even be adapted into like a into a TV series from on Netflix and stuff like that as well. Um, it, could, it could still be made. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, it would, and it would work. Um, um, we, we, on this podcast, we've, we've said, I've lost count how many times we've said it, but we've, and in reading the story, I'm like, yeah, we've said that would work. We've said that would work. We've said that would work. And it's like, you know, he had this all mapped out a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, yeah. We've, we've even talked about the prospect of, um, you know, the 21st Phantom dying and then the, um, the idea of Kitten Halloween's working out who's the next Phantom. That has become a, um, a storyline in the Scandinavian um, Phantom comics now in the last, yeah. what, three, four years. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, there, there's an, there'd be an appetite... Or whether there's an appetite for it, there might be, but there'd certainly be an acceptance of it and, and yeah. a preparedness well, yeah. of Phantom fans to move into that. 
Mm. Well, Matt Hillary's a very strong character in here. Yeah. One of her, with her big reveal, uh, whatever it is, about halfway through the movie, and um, and I should have expected it, and I didn't. When uh, <laughs> you know, takes the mask off. Oh, of course it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what I wanted to do. I mean, we're talking about it, so I guess you know the the fans are just going to have to bear with the spoilers. So we should just put lots of spoiler alerts for, for <laughs> you know the possibility. But but what I wanted to do with that was have was have Kit feel like it's his duty to be the Phantom. And I wanted Heloise to, it's just her nature to be the Phantom. Mm. And, yeah. and that's what I wanted. Like she was, whether she's called the Phantom or not, she's doing everything the Phantom yeah. would be doing yeah. without knowing any of the history. She's just, mm. it's what she does. It's who she is. Yeah. Whereas she Kit's like, that. oh, this is my forefathers. I'm going to take the mantle. I'm going to be the guy. And that, what that does is it adds to a really interesting story arc moving forward because you yeah. have one person who now goes well i'm i'm strong and i know i know why i'm strong and i know who my lineage is and i know who my family is and now i'm going to hunt down every single person that messed with us and we're going to take on the the brotherhood we're going to take them on we're going to take down these people um which is not what the fandom's about so no. so for, for him to have that retribution and to be like you know just this killing machine ready to go um you know, the greatest, the only person who can stop the Phantom is the Phantom. And so you have a brother and sister Phantom versus Phantom storyline. And that was what I was really looking forward to getting into, you know, that sort of story. Because you got all these rich characters, but, you know, neither of them want to fight each other. And they, yeah. and both of them are kind of right. They both have the right idea behind things. So yeah. it just adds to that duplicity of of really good story arcs and i just it was just an exciting prospect and then like i said i had this great awesome great story for mandrake so it was like it just felt like everything was just building and building and building mm. to defenders of the earth and i do uh, like to think that um certainly if the first two three movies made money king features would find a way quickly um for flash gordon to to come on the back of it and then you know be part four five <laughs> six whatever it might be here's the thing here's the thing i don't need to do Flash Gordon, right? But what, what I'd like to do is, if we're doing this this idea, is have whoever's yeah. doing it on the same page as what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's the thing. It's not about me making all these movies. It's about just having somebody over overseeing the arc to make yeah. sure it all clicks into place. I don't have to make every film. You know, I don't even have to. I don't even have to make the first film. You know, but the idea behind me pushing for the Phantom, the idea behind me trying to get this film up and getting so close to it was to try and tell this this story. And the story was not just this one story. It, it, you know, the Phantom was, was a six-hour story. And there was a Mandrake story, which fed into the Phantom. Then there was a Flash Gordon story, which was kind of by itself. But what that does is sets up Ming and his storyline. And then yeah. and then that brings it. And when, when, you know, when the Defenders happens, it's when Flash is back on Earth and Ming's chased him back to Earth sort of kind of thing. And now he's fighting them. But, of course, all these other characters that you know are now joining in. And, and guess what? There you are. Mm. So, so yeah. So, look, it would be amazing if, if, if anything like that could happen. And, um, you know, but it's, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a funny, it's a funny industry and it's a funny world that we live in. And you just kind of roll with the punches and who knows? I mean, I'll never say never. Like, I, I'm still very passionate about the film. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, I've gone off and made other movies and, you know, I'm working on other stuff. I'm, I'm looking at shooting another film next year, uh, which is a drama. 
you know, it's a, it's a romantic drama, basically. It's, it's as far away from the fandom as you can get, but, you know, we're sort of <laughs> eyeing off some people for that. So, I mean, you know, life, life goes on, but there's always, you know, this, this, this little guy here in the corner there, there's always, you know, that sort of shadow thing sort of working behind me going, wouldn't it be great if we could figure that out, so... Well, if you have an extra in the background just reading a phantom comic as the main characters are doing what they're doing, just to, you know, put it out there, you know, keep it in people's minds. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm thinking I wish I had $80 million in my back pocket to, uh, to control the film. Um, we might have to add a few more Patreon levels, boys, if we're going to try and... Uh, <laughs> well, I don't know if we need... I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't even know what the budget would be sitting now if it'd be more or less. I mean, there's an amazing thing. You know, this, I don't know if you guys have seen the Unreal Engine what they're doing in the Mandalorian and stuff like that um, is just the, the technology. I'm sorry, I don't know if you're hearing all the racket around us, me as well. I do apologise for that. It sounds like somebody's drilling a hole out the... Oh, I can't hear that. Okay, cool. Um, but, um, yeah, so uh, with Mandalorian and things like that, I don't know if you know the, the technical aspects to it, but all of that shot, like every, every single scene is shot on a soundstage. And um, like all those big open desert scenes, soundstage. Really? In a bar, soundstage. It's all, and that soundstage is run by an Unreal Engine program, which is basically a massive LED wall. Uh, and they, they move the camera and it moves the background in 3D in real time. Oh, wow. So, so all the explosions, so if you look at the Mandalorian's reflections of, you know, his helmet and stuff like that, they don't add that in after because it's actual light reflecting off his suit from the screens, which are happening in real time. Oh, yeah. so oh, wow. The reason why that looks so good is because of this technology. So there's, there's, there's ways to do things now to, on a technical level that you just didn't have 10 years ago. And so you never know. You might be able to do. I think there's another show called Queen's Gambit, which is playing on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, um, my wife just finished that. Yeah, I mean, all of that shot with the same thing. So, yeah. you know, and it looks very real. Yeah, no, it does. I, I couldn't get into it. Um, um, but yeah, no, um, it does. And I guess for period pieces as well, that would work quite yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and I guess if you, if this was, let's just say it was to go to something like Netflix or something like that, you could have your flashbacks and that could solve that problem because you've got four or 500 years of rich history, and mm. stuff like that as well. So, um, yeah, I, I'm sold, but unfortunately, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't have that money either. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, a way of making money would, would be would be merchandise. Do you have, um, did you have any merchandise ideas with the film? Was that up to you? Or that would be in a studio yeah, thing. Does that, that wasn't my thing um, at the time? I was actually fighting to just try and try and stay on or, or be the director. Um, you know, it was it was a very strange scenario for me because everybody loved the script um, but nobody wanted to give give me the, the chance to direct because everybody wanted to direct that script yeah, <laughs> yeah right. that's what it was and so um so i was just too busy just on a daily basis just fighting with the studio to prove that i could do what i needed to do um and you know that, and like i said the movie never happened so i didn't have to go any further than that but um i'm sure if it was to come about today um i'd like it just wouldn't even be a question i'd, I'd get the directing job straight up so yeah um so when we were talking with uh tom he was telling us about uh that you got him to work on the logo and 
and, and yeah. some other stuff like that. Um, are you able to? Uh, do you have that on your computer? I do. Are you able to show us? And again, if you're listening to us via the audio only on the podcast, uh, you might want to make a quick note of the timestamp so you can uh, jump on over to YouTube and have a look at what um, Timothy is about to show us. Right, so this is right here. I'll just do that. It's actually um, on the full screen. I'll flip this across you now. So this is the one that... that um, that Tom made, which is kind of like a chromey sort of thing you know, yeah. with, the, with the purple coming through the legacy. Um, but we ended up using, I don't know if I actually, um, if I ended up bringing this one here, but we got a, another one. Um, we did, this was actually, it's funny because you know how Tom, Tom, first of all, I would say Tom's a great guy. Like I, I love Tom. Like he's, he's a guy, he's one of the few people that I met on a project that I've, I've maintained a friendship for over a decade. Yeah, well. living in a different country. He's just that type of dude, and um, and so I got a lot of time for him, and um, and he's he's just really talented what he did, you know. So um, this is a this is just here is a little um, let me flip this across to you now. So that was his his sketch that he did. It was a bit too futuristic for where I was going, but it was kind of that was his his starting idea. Yeah. Uh, just some sort of sketching stuff like that. What we ended up doing was we did a photo shoot, and um, and this was the posters that I took out to the studio to try and give an idea of, of what I was, I was trying to sort of encapsulate. And, um, there, yeah. And that, and that logo down the bottom is the actual logo that I went with. That, that's the yeah. final logo that I went with, which was a little bit different to the chromey one. I do like that. So it's, and that's the kid in Heloise poster. Now, like I was saying to you guys, before we started doing it, the, um, the guy who plays the Phantom there, he was is uh, an Australian actor who's over in Hollywood with me, and um, he's now producing the new Zac Efron film down in South Australia, which is happening at the moment. So, um, so it's it's funny how you know actors turning to producers, and you know just after a decade to sort of see where people are and sort of mm. you know, moved on. But so that's um, a couple of like photos. So that was done in Tom's at uh, Tom's work. Those photos, and um, and I think you know that. Look good to me, so I was, I was quite happy with those posters. Yeah, for sure. Like twin um, twin posters to go with the twin phantoms uh, would yeah, have been yeah. a great idea. And of course, as collectors, we would have wanted one of each. And uh, <laughs> and uh, gee, if only they had been made ten years ago and were hanging on the wall behind me now. Oh, so that, that would have been cool. We also had some. We had some concept art. Um, here's. I think you guys get a bit of a buzz out of this. That's the skull oh. that we're looking at doing. Um. And the, the characters at the front, obviously, the band of tribe, but it, it was more about the, um, just to sort of give scale to yeah. the pictures. That's so beautiful. That. Um, so that was, that was kind of a, I was pretty excited when, I, when that came across my desk. I was like, yeah, this is, this is very vibey. And we also did a... Um, Any we chance we could get a, uh, a uh, version of that that people could download as a desktop or something like that? Because that'd be awesome desktop. I, I reckon I could sort that out for you guys. There's, there's also an interior one here too, if you want to stand by. This is, um, again, this is just a scale that put the Phantom in as, a, as an idea to sort of show scale of the picture. But, um, so that's kind of cool. That's like an interior one. It's, it's not much of a design. It's just to sort of give the mood. It's kind of more like a mood board sort of feel. Yeah. Um, and I guess yeah. 
for people who are just listening at the moment, uh, just by way of brief description, because you've absolutely got to go and have a look at these yourself. But they are both both of those landscape scenes. One which is the deep woods featuring the Skull Cave, and the other I, could be Whispering Woods, perhaps. Um, but both very very moody, um, dark colours, um, but really establishing that sense of um, I guess mystery and um, enigma around the phantom, but also in that in that jungle environment. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, one of the things I wanted to sort of bring the vibe of um, when we see the uh, the skull cave for the first time, they light this torch and it just goes up and lights up the entire yeah. place. You follow it around, and um, and yeah, I just it's just about trying to create moments that that wow wowed me as a as a fan and somebody who's there. And I think you know if I was getting excited about it, then my hope was that other people were getting excited too. Um, there's yeah. a lot of action in the film. I didn't want to sort of slow it down too much. Um, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, look, it just would have been a, a super fun shoot. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, um, you know, you can only dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we've been doing ever since. Um, and, the, and the script has definitely reunited that, um, that, that dream. Thanks. Yeah, well, look, I'm glad you guys dug it because it's it's nice to, especially because nobody's really read it um, outside of the studio system. You oh, know, wow. like, you know, so Tom, it's been pretty much kept on the download because, you know, but I mean, I own the script, so it's my, it's my. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, when, when, when you guys reached out and said, do you want to talk about it? I said, well, I'd love to, but you guys got to know what, I'm, what I've done <laughs> in order to understand. Like, we can't have the conversation if you don't know what, what it's about. Mm. So, um, it was actually quite nerve-wracking handing it to you guys. Because, <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Well, because you guys are the real deal. You know, you, you're the people yeah. that I was going to be making the movie for. And it's all nice and well to sort of, um, you know, to sit in your own little bubble and go, yeah, I've done a really good job. <laughs> this yeah. is the yeah. I want to be. But I was like, when I, when I went, well, I'm going to send it to you. But, you know, it's just been sitting there for a decade, just, mm. you know, metaphorically collecting dust. So it's like we may as well get out there to people who would appreciate it and actually get a, you know, some sort of enjoyment out of it. So I'm glad you guys got a chance to read it. Oh, yeah. I got a real buzz out of it. It was, yeah. I, yeah, I, um, I was at work and I'd forgotten to take something to work that I'd left at home. thought, well, I can't do that now. There's a script sitting here. I may as well read this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. This is great. <laughs> and I was just, you know, watching the movie in my head as I'm reading it. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. You could really see how this movie was going to pan out or going to be, mm. you know, you're very descriptive. In, like, not that I've read that many scripts. But, mm. um, you know, you could, really, you could watch the movie as you're, as you're reading the script. That, um, that actually is a, a good segue to a question I was going to ask about, um, I guess, as you're reading the script and visualising it, um, it really, um, what I started to do was um, cast characters and cast actors. So you've mentioned, <laughs> you've mentioned meeting with Liam Hensworth. Um, I think at the time the rumour was going around that Sam Worthington might be involved. You might be able to confirm that or not. Um, Sam but- was never involved. Um, so, so John Swartz, who, who's played Kip in that picture, is actually Sam's best friend. So that's, um, yeah. I, I worked with Sam on a movie just prior. To, in fact, and John was in that movie as well. So so we all kind of went to LA. I think that's time. probably where it came from. Well, we all went to LA at the same time. So um, where they got the call to be an avatar uh, at the same time that I was flying into LA. So we all just arrived in Hollywood at the same time. And so he was he was prepping with James Cameron to do his thing. And, um, and so Weather and I were hanging out quite a bit because... Um, and John 
um, Schwartz as well. So we're all sort of just hanging out. Like I, I was had a place where you know we had a, a nice pool and all that sort of stuff, and so it was just everybody was just doing. It was very Hollywood. It was just everybody was hanging out and doing the thing. And I think that's where it came from. It was just like because we were seen together a lot. People just assumed if I'm doing this movie, then he was doing it as well. But and we'd just done a movie together, but yeah. it wasn't the case. Uh, and we look, we tried to tell people that it wasn't happening. But you know, I mean, the thing is, whether I would have been great in that, but it was it was never we never. It was never raised once. That was just a rumor that mm. kind of happened. So yeah. So did you? Um, if you were if you were going to make it today, let's say it gets uh, it gets bankrolled on the on the back of this podcast, and Billy Zane decides <laughs> yes, he's going to be involved as well, and he wants to be the twenty first fan for that first 10, 15 minutes. But then you've got to cast a cast a kid in a Heloise. Have you got anyone in mind who, or or, or a, a, an idea of a sort of person who you would see in those in those roles from people who are in the industry today, or even you know the relatively unknowns as well. Yeah, I mean that's it's it's it was you know what that question was really hard at the time when it was for real and we were doing it. So I was struggling with that as well because um, the Phantom has to have like kid has to have a physical presence that is that is quite large. You know, it needs to be intimidating without being the Rock. But you know, yeah. the Rock sort of size is what you need. Yeah. yeah. And they don't, there's not that many people who are like... And the, the rock would certainly be too old now um, to, yeah, to yeah. fit the kid character as, uh, as appears in this one. Yeah, well, I mean, the idea was about trying to modernise it and, and bring it forward. I Look, I don't know who, who I'd cast um, if I was to do it in, in today's day. I know at the time we were, we were throwing around names. We still hadn't locked down the cast at that stage. So, uh, like yeah. I said, we had met, I know Bruce had met with Liam... Um, on more than one occasion in regards to it. And when they floated the idea with me, I wasn't adverse to that. I thought, you know, and this was, and the thing was, um, Chris Hemsworth wasn't a star at that stage. Yeah. So yeah. Liam, Liam was more of a sort of person who was doing stuff at the time. So, um, yeah, look, I, 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 I leave the casting to the, that's, that's like the last thing I do. I don't, I don't tend to, the, I don't tend to write characters with actors in mind except for one. There's one character that was written in the voice of this film, Wachowski. Do you guys, did you guys get the voice? Do you know who I wrote that, like, based on? Wachowski, he's like, the, he's one of the Marines. Oh, I don't know who he's based on, but... So, so I, it's funny, because I can't not hear the voice of the actor <laughs> when, when, when I read it and when I was writing it. That was, to me, that was Bill Paxton. And oh. I was, the classic Bill Paxton, Aliens, hey, Serge, hey, how are you doing? You know, that's a wacky sort of, um, sort of marine sort of vibe. And, uh, and it's, it's hard because every time I open up that script and I read it, all I hear is Bill Paxton talking out um, there. And obviously he's, you know, no longer with us, but, um, but it was definitely with his uh, voice. And that's the only person out of the entire movie that I wrote with any particular actor's voice in my head. Um, Oh, and, that, and sometimes that can be really helpful when you're creating a character as well, as if you've already got to, an archetype in your mind, whether yeah. it's Bill Paxton or whoever character that he played at some point that set that in for you or whatever. But uh, um, I'll, I'll throw a left field one in and it would require him to take up acting. Uh, I don't know if you're an, an Aussie Rules fan at all, but Alex Rance might be a uh, uh, former Richmond uh, footballer. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a little story. Um, acting is, is a craft. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in a good craft. 
Alex Reyes has got it down. Packed. He uh, was a very good actor on the football field. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, oh, look, I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen his work, but if he's, uh, if he's got the chops, then he's in. You know, that's fine. <laughs> He'd be the right size. He's probably the eight, around the right age profile. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah. What about you guys, um, Jermaine and Steve? Did you think of anybody as you were reading that you thought, "Wow, this this is someone who could step uh, step behind the mask"? Um, probably uh, a lot, a lot, a lot. The Liam Hemsworth. If if I was reading it now, and if he wasn't doing Thor, he would have been. Like, that's Chris is doing Thor. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Yeah, but like, like that's how I could. Yeah. You know they're very similar, and like you kind of see it, and it it, it makes sense. Yeah. Because um, I really liked him in um, what was he did in that um, that Netflix movie just recently, the one that was in India. Um, still Chris sounds right. That's still Chris, mate. Yeah, yeah, no, I know that, but what I'm saying <laughs> is extraction. Uh, yeah, but like like that like that type of you know if yeah. I know he's I know it's the, I know it's the other brother and I know, <laughs> you know he's from four and stuff like that but when with the the marine um start of it that's who I kind of got the picture of um at that so start. that's actually the vibe that we're looking at yeah and so that um yeah so but no not really anyone else um I, I was just, I didn't really, I, I will admit, I was just really, when I was reading, I was just focusing on the script. I wasn't thinking, I wasn't playing yeah, casting, yeah, yeah. a casting role or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. I think I just kind of um, pictured the uh, kid from the comics just personified, just, you know, yeah. more human, like he had the blonde hair and the, the, the chiseled looks and blue eyes. In some ways, someone stepping into a phantom role would almost need to be an unknown, in a sense, like Liam would have been at the time, really. Yeah. Um, and even Sam Worthington, I know that's complete rumour and you don't like that, but that was part of what people were talking about at the time as well. Someone who's about to go on their journey of becoming a, a megastar yeah. and the phantom could be their, their way into the film industry, in a sense. Sam's um, not big enough. Like, he's not tall enough. He's, he's six foot, but he's not six foot six. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, those, yeah, yeah. those extra inches make it, especially that, that presence. Yeah, um, sure. You'd have to cast everybody a lot smaller if you could go down that path. How small would the band I have to be? <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, there was a Lee Phillips story where there was a short, short Phantom. Wasn't he Phantom number four? Oh, I can't remember which oh, one. No, it was, I think it was. It's the fourth son. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't oh dear. So, is this? Um, so you've said, um, um, but you'd be keen to jump back into the world. I know you've got a lot of other projects going on at the moment, Tim. But is this? A, is it? If someone come forward tomorrow, and would you? How ready would you be to go? <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's 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 a hard world. Like at the moment, it's a, it's a, it's a kind of a it's a difficult sort of scenario because of the way the world is now. Um, mm. the, the reality is is that it's a hard sell. To, I mean, if you want my honest opinion, it's a, it's a hard sell. As much as I love the script, it is a hard sell to tell to a studio that you have a white man coming in to save yeah. Africans, you know, in their country. Um, just in today's society, it's just a, it's just a hard sell. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, in saying that, I actually don't think, I think we've done it really well. I think we actually circumvent all of that. And I think it actually is its own thing and I don't think it is offensive. But just for that initial, initial backing from a studio, um, I think it's a delicate thing, especially after, because Black Panther has done so well. Yeah. You know, African actors and, and African crew and it was, I mean, it was an amazing, you know, and it, it broke so many, um, so many barriers and so many yeah. sort of glass windows and things like that. So, so the fact that that's come out and been so successful, like how do you pitch the idea of going back the other way to a studio? Like in, in, in all sincerity, because if I could figure that out, I'd be on it, <laughs> on it straight away. Um, but I just don't know how, how to do that. It's probably not a question I thought we'd, I'd ask it when we started this, but um, it's something I've thought about at different times. What if, um, you know, obviously the first Phantom, Christopher Standish, when he gets washed ashore, yes, he's a, a white European, but that's 21 generations ago and there's been a lot of um, Phantoms and they've had wives from a lot of places. The, today's Phantom could be any colour, really. Absolutely. Uh, um, a, a brown, yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't want to get too heavy into it because I, I don't, it's not, a thing to to get too heavy into. I'm yeah. just saying. I think it's a hard sell to yeah. to, to pitch, yeah. um, you know. But if you can if you can figure that out, if you can get somebody to go, no, I can see that. I mean, look, yeah, was it Anne Hathaway last week who had to apologise because she was in a, a witch's movie because she had a, a limb and she, yeah. you know, what I mean, like it's just yeah. exactly right, you know. So yeah. so you kind of it's just it's just a really delicate sort of yeah. you know landmines that you got to sort of um, look so, out for. Would you have the Phantom not in the jungle at the start? For, well, for me, I'd do it. You've read the script. I'll have it. I'd do it exactly the way the film is. Like if I could get to make that movie, I'd be very happy. Um, you know, I think, I think we do a good job of, of setting up everything from the, from the very first Phantom, you know, from Christopher Sanders coming, you know, getting washed ashore all the way through to, to modern day because, you know, we do it in such a way with, with flashbacks and as, as Kit learns. So I think I don't feel like there's any underlying tone or racism within the film at all. No, um, no there's not. So, so with that in mind, I think that's its saving grace. I don't feel like it's dated. I don't feel like it, it, it's a movie that can't be made. I just You just need a studio who's willing to back it. And, um, and and that's where I see the disconnect because I think most studios are just so scared of offending people. Um, and, you know, you can't not offend people. You, you, this podcast is going to offend people. You know what I mean? Like, it's just people get offended. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> Don't you worry about that. That, that will happen. <laughs> that if, if there's one thing for sure in the, in the founding community, no one agrees. <laughs> <laughs> we had a bit of fun on that just this past weekend. <laughs> the, uh, I guess un unrelated to those questions about um, where we are with society now and all the rest of it, but, um, you know, uh, putting that to one side, with the benefit of 10 years hindsight and, and um, having just picked it up again this week or whatever to, to refresh your memory about what it was, do you think there's anything you'd do differently with the script or, or broader? Is there I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd tidy up some of the dialogue and I'd tidy up some of the scenes. But generally speaking, is for me, I think it's great. Like, yeah. and this is not just coming from a point of like, oh, wonderful. I'm just saying, as a filmmaker, if I read that script, I'd be like, yes, I can do something with like this. Yeah, for oh, sure. Man. And that, and look, that's that speaks volumes in itself because I think just about anyone who's ever written anything, 
um, the moment they've submitted it or, or look back on it later go, oh, gosh, <laughs> I could have done that so much better. So just the fact that uh, even 10 years later, there's only that, um, that tidying up that you'd do. Yeah, I worked really hard on the, the screenplay. Like I worked on it for about two and a half to three years. Mm. Um, oh. And it was, it was a film where, and I mean, I worked on it really like 20 hours a day. Um, I, I wrote the first draft um, in four days. And I absolutely just smashed it out, and I, I, I locked myself in. I, I was bouncing back and forth from from LA and Sydney, and I had booked a ticket to fly back to LA on the Friday. And the guys, Bruce and um, Howard Simington, who was the other executive producer, said, "Well, we we want the next draft of the we want the draft of the screenplay done before you leave." And I'd already paid for my flight, so I went, "Okay, I've got four days to write this movie." And I, I bought myself a massive bottle of whiskey and I locked myself in the room and I just drank this thing and just wrote, and I just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing. And I went, and pretty much what you see on the script was, is, is pretty much the bones of, of what you read now is, is what I wrote in that four days. So, wow. um, so it, it came to a good bottle. It was a great bottle. <laughs> but the thing was I had done a lot of research up until that point and I already plotted all of the, the, the parts. You see, how I wrote this film was um, what I tend to do is I, I tend to see a movie trailer and, um, and then from the movie trailer I go, this happens and this happens, this happens, this happens, this happens. And then I realise, well, I, like in the, in the trailer there's this one bit that right at the end of the trailer where the phantom's swinging across the lava and he's, half his mask is ripped off and, he's, and his eyes are wide and, and it's this lava underneath him and he's in a volcano. I don't know how the hell this happens, but at some stage in this movie, the phantom needs to get inside a volcano, an active volcano, and be like swinging across something. That's the, like, so I just knew that that had to happen at some stage and it's a pretty climatic thing, so it probably had to happen near the end. So at some stage he has to be in a volcano. Um, and so that's how I sort of got those set pieces of, of action um, through really coming together with a really tight trailer of how I saw the movie. And then from there, I was able to sort of expand, expand out. But um, yeah, I mean, that, that was my writing process for this particular film. It wasn't for every film that I do. But it was definitely for this one. So. Wow. And um, I, I know you didn't control a lot of this, but behind the scenes, you know, in a production sense, is there anything that uh, you look back and go, well, I could have controlled that or is, it, it really is just as um, random as a, a Libyan dictator getting overthrown? No, I think, um, I think being an independent, because really we were an independent film. Mm. Like we, went to the, we went to the, you know, I flew over to New York and I pitched this idea. And like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I didn't really sort of finish the story. We, we went out to the $100 steak, the, the Palms Hotel, and, um, and Rocky said to me, he said, look, um, we want, you know, he explained that he wanted to do the Predator thing or he wanted to do the Batman thing. And, and, uh, and what, what did I, what was my take? Because there's three different companies that are looking at buying it, you know, they're buying for the option. And I just said to him, I said, look, can, we, can you do me a favour? Can I actually order like the lunch first, because I think this is going to be the shortest pitch in the world. I really a hundred dollar steak because I don't think I'm ever going to be tasting a hundred dollar steak again. So like, I'd really like to order some food and uh, they all laughed. And I said, no, seriously, it's going to be a short pitch. And when I told them that the way I wanted to modernize the fandom was killing him off in the first 10 minutes, I thought, and this is where it ends. And they were like, go on. 
Um, you know, for me, that was the, I, I think, sorry, I've lost sort of track of the, uh, the question, but um, I just wanted to sort of finish that story. What was the question? Sorry. Oh, <laughs> no, just play, play here in Sydney. <laughs> no, that's all right. Yeah. Um, just, if, just if there's oh, anything differently you could have done, I suppose. Could have done different. Yeah. So, so I, I don't think so. I think, I think um, I probably would have put my foot down a bit harder on, on being the director. Um, my writer's deal, like the deal that I had behind the scenes um, was a multi-million dollar deal if this movie went into production, like, um, which for a writer is kind of unheard of. So yeah. I, think, I think on a producing level and on a, on a writing level, um, I, really, I did really well. Like I secured some really decent rights. Um, but what I didn't do was secure that directing right. And, yeah. uh, and that was probably the and, and but I was fighting for it. And it looked like I was going to get there. Um, but it looked like I might have had to co-direct with Brett, and um, which would have been interesting because, you know, um, like I said, Brett said Brett said he was just going to stand behind me and make sure that I'm doing the right stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's like you know, you don't need a backseat driver for anything. And I, I love Brett, and I think he's great, but it's just um, I just didn't meet him as a, like he could be a producer yeah. as far as I was concerned and do the same thing. He didn't have to be a director, so yeah, yeah. Now, you might need to explain this whole process a little bit with me but do you still own all the company or, or whatever do you still own the rights to the phantom movie or right, is that right. now expired yeah that's expired I, I don't know who has the rights to it at the moment um but uh so but i definitely don't <laughs> so yeah. um but i have the rights to my screenplay so if a, if a phantom movie was going to be made outside of me they'd either have to purchase the screenplay or they would have to write their own yeah. Um, so you know, so this this really is the movie that almost got made, yeah. um, and that's why I wanted to share it with you because it's you know you guys would I was hoping you guys would appreciate it. it looks like you have, so that's good. But yeah. um, you know, like I said, I put a lot of work into the research because um, I really felt an obligation to make a movie that was good for the fans. And like I said, I felt a bit. I felt a bit ripped off on the on the original Phantom movie because I felt like it was just a bit too cheesy, and um, and I think we like I just felt like I deserved a better movie, and yeah. um, and so and it's you know and, and some people love the, the the cheesiness of the the original. I mean, and that's fine. Like I'm not I'm not anti. Uh, you know, definitely not anti Christy Swanson and all that stuff. Like I'm not on any any of that. I just I just but I wanted something a bit grittier and I, I wanted something like I mean when when you look at the Phantom, you don't see cheese. Like when you look at that like you held up the latest issue of Phantom, and my first reaction was, Oh do you know what I mean? Like at the beginning, yeah. which is great. It's a good issue. Go out go out and I, I'm going it. to. <laughs> like, I haven't seen it. And I, you held it up. I was like, damn, dude, that looks awesome. Yeah. Um, but that's what I wanted to see, and I didn't get that in the last movie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, you know, I, I, I don't know who's got the rights at the moment. Um, I did approach them a couple of years ago, probably about 2016, to see if they were still available. And Rocky was sort of umming and ahhing about it. Um, and uh, there's a lot of people that want the right, especially because comic books are now a commodity that yeah. people think they can make money from. Which is good. I mean, you want that, um, but you know, you, you now instead of fighting one or two people, you're, you're fighting three or four thousand people who are vying for the options. Um, I think for me personally, like I said, I've got a couple of films 
coming out, you know, if I can get myself into a position where uh, they take my work seriously, um, you know, then, then that's probably my best ammunition moving forward. I mean, the movie that we just released um, on Halloween, the thing that people don't understand about that movie was that I shot that film, which got a release through Vertical in the US and in the UK and pretty much all over the world, except for here in Australia. Um, we haven't released it here yet. But I shot that entire movie myself with no crew and just the actors. And, wow. um, and it, it, you know, people are going, oh, man, this movie is so low budget. I'm like, yeah, dude, this movie is super low budget. Whatever <laughs> budget you think a movie is, Divided by a thousand. That's what this movie <laughs> um, it's, um, it was. Oh, what's his name? It's like the, the fellow who did Desperado and. Uh, Robert Rodriguez. That's him, yeah. It, mate, seriously, if you, if you had a chance to check out the trailer or whatever, um, check it out. It's, it's, it's funny because it's it got kind of slammed on IMDb um, and it's like, I don't know, 3.4 out of 10. But it's not a 3.4 out of 10 movie. And if you go over to things like um, the movie database where we're not getting kind of trolled. Um, you see it's up at 70%, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so so it's just one of those sort of things that um, this is an industry, especially here in Australia, that people will tend to want to try and take people down and do what have you. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm trying to say by all of this is that it's actually a movie I'm really proud of and it's a movie which um, I've shot, you know, I shot myself. I'm a cinematographer, but I shot it. Um, and we, we had a couple of people in post to help us, but generally speaking, it's a movie that was released in 4K, on Blu-ray in 5.1 Dolby Digital, like it's got all the technical specs that you'd expect in a movie, and it was re- released and sold around the world. Um, you know, that's a, that's a nice little foot in the door. Once we get Shadow Wars out, it's a comic book movie, which we can show the, the, the sort of strength of where that's at. I've got this other drama, which one, one which I'm looking at shooting next year. So my hope is that there will be enough runs on the board at that point to be able to sit down with the studio and say, look, the script is still here. And... Yeah. Um, you know, and <laughs> we still want to watch it. <laughs> you know, and and it's still relevant. I mean, like I said, it's 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 probably more relevant today than it was ten years ago. So, <laughs> all the you know, fake voting fraud and all the stuff that goes on in the in the movie. So, um, yeah. So, I I'm definitely not adverse. I'm I could go tomorrow on it. I mean, the the hardest thing for making a movie is actually getting the script into a place that's right. I reckon, yeah. you know, give me two weeks with that script and what I've learned over the last 10 years and I can certainly knock out another draft and, and be very happy with it. So mm. I think the bones are very much there. Yeah, yeah very definitely. Yeah, yeah. So did you ever deal with King Features or the Hearst company? Yep. So I, I dealt with Rocky over at King Features. Okay. Um, oh, so that was Rocky Shepherd. I yeah. Said, and and um, that was your contact at, at KFS? Yeah, so Rocky Shepherd took me out to the Palms and gave me that hundred dollar right. steak. Right. Oh, so, right. Was it a good steak? <laughs> you know what? This this is separate. I was so nervous that I can't, I don't recall anything. Like I was just like I was like because because once I pitched the idea, like I said, I was so certain they were just going to laugh me out of the room because like oh. I want to I want to make a movie and kill your your main character in the first ten minutes. Like so to finish that story, they didn't laugh you out of the room. What was their What was their response to the pitch then? Obviously, uh, reasonably enthusiastic. They they looked around the room to each other. They kind of all smiled and they said, "Enjoy your steak." <laughs> That's it. Enjoy your steak. He goes, "The, the movie's yours." Wow. wow. And and I knew right then. So and I did enjoy that steak. <laughs> Must have been on cloud nine walking away from the lunch. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I, I didn't realise that um, 
you know, when you when you're pitching to a to a, a comic studio and stuff like that, especially now, it's, it would be a lot. I'm sure it'd be a lot more difficult because, like I said, you get three thousand people pitching a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but back then, I was what they saw was just a really enthusiastic dude who, who had a story that they liked the idea of. At that mm. stage, I hadn't written the story; I just had the the treatment and the pitch. And um, once they said, "Yeah, let's do it," um, they, like I said, they got, they actually they gave me this this thing here. Yeah, so that's so that that is a six figure statue. I say six figure because it cost us a six figure sum to get the the license. And this is what I got for it. <laughs> so it's the most expensive phantom statue. I mean, I'm sure you can buy it for like 150 bucks somewhere, but it cost me over a hundred thousand dollars. So. I'm sure Jen will be able to tell us the uh, the maker, and it, that's a bit more than a hundred and fifty dollars statue. Yeah. It's more in the yeah, it's the um, uh, for those who are on audio, it's the Tiki Tiki Design statue. Uh, it came in blue as well. Um, you're looking at about. Uh, eight hundred to a thousand dollars now. There you go. So, yeah. Wow! Not, not quite the hundred thousand, but um, <laughs> that would cost more than a hundred thousand. I'm telling you right now. So. Yeah, but um, no, it was sculpted by Ruben Pro Pro Copio, who did was a sculptor for a lot of um Disney stuff as well. It's it's an amazing statue. Yeah. I mean, the it thing is. That's really funny is that it actually to this day still sits at my desk looking at it. Like it's it's not something which I've put away. It's like it's it's very much part of my working space. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm I'm super super proud of it. And uh, like I said, I I'm still hopeful. But the the it once you have a movie that's basically rolling into pre, so it's moved out of development, moving into pre, and then stops, and then it's ten years later. Um, you kind of just put it to a side and, and like this is bizarre that, that you guys got in contact with me because um you know because like i said i've, I've kept in contact with tom for the whole time through it and um and it was funny because at the time tom was working on a new ghostbusters logo the ghostbusters 3 because they were pitching that idea around mm-hmm. back in the day as well so it was a weird sort of i'm, I'm a huge ghostbusters fan um and uh, in fact my number plate is ecto-1 um so so the so he was working on that at the time and and we're doing phantom and um it was just it was just a a time where i just i don't know it just felt like things were just happening it was all getting really close and i felt like we're going to make a really good movie and i was i was at that stage i was like i just i'm really looking forward to the fans checking this out because i think they're going to really dig it and um and then for it suddenly to just go boom to nothing, you just get to a point where you're like, well, what, what else can you do? You know, you just the, the do definition it. of a sliding doors moment. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And here we are. So. Well, in the last few minutes, I've just thought of an actor. You oh, know, yeah. Yeah, we, we said before, you know, reasonably unknown and a tall presence. Um, who is actually an actor and he's done, done a few things. But um, there's a fellow called, and he knows the character really, really well. His name is Duncan Munro. <laughs> um, and, and well, maybe he's a little bit too old to play the Phantom now. He's got he's got a few years in us, mate. But he could probably play at least one of those Marines. I reckon he'd be oh, hundred percent. He yeah. would love that. And, and Duncan, and he would. Yeah, it, we, we do know him personally, but uh, he's also a registered actor. And um, yes, he's actually he, yeah. That, that was actually true. That was <laughs> to give you some picture. He actually won an international Jack Reacher lookalike competition. Oh, nice. Yeah. Jack, Jack Reacher the novel or Jack Reacher novel. Tom Cruise? 
Fans were filthy when uh, Tom Cruise was cast and uh, lots of them were signing petitions to have Duncan, this relatively, well, absolute unknown, to, to come from the clouds and play the character. So, And uh, yeah. he would have loved it. I've got no problems working with, with people who are unknown, but it's just, it's just bad. For the studios, they want to be able to sell tickets. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And uh, know, it's, just, it's, it's all business, man. So it's, it's that thing of um, a lot of the creative control is, is an arm wrestle on a daily basis. So like you, when, you, when you're dealing with studios and you're dealing with people putting in that amount of money, um, it's, it's, it is a fight. Like you go into battle every day. And uh, I can't explain it any more than that. Like one of the, the greatest things about being an independent filmmaker um, is not having to deal with that. If, if I decide I want to do something in a particular way, I can just do that. And you actually have that control on the, on the smaller budget things. But then what you don't have is the, um, the ability to market them and get them out to the wider audience. So, you know, the, the benefits of working through a studio is that you have the, what they call P&A, the print and advertising and the marketing team behind you to be able to push your, your films to a larger audience um, versus the ability to just make what you want. So it's, it's kind of you've got that, that balance of what you need to do to get it right. Uh, for The Phantom, you, just, you need a studio behind it because you need the marketing. And um, like there's, there's a section in there um, which I, I really fought to get out, but to not have in the film. But um, Bruce Sherlock really wanted it in. And that's that. There's, a, there's like a Christian vibe to it with like some um, Christian um, uh, where Heloise is working for a Christian aid group and there's all this sort of stuff. Mm. And I just said, it doesn't actually need to be there. And it's not that yeah. I'm anti-Christian. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm just, it doesn't need to be there. We can tell this story without bringing in politics or religion. Yeah. Um, but he was really adamant that that's what he wanted. And so it ended up being in the script. So that's something which I would take out, not because I'm anti-Christian at all, but I just don't think it needs to be, in the, the concept of the film. Um, and, but, and, know, while, and while you're, you know, as you say, not anti-Christian, there are people who are and you don't need to eliminate uh, any section of your audience. It just it has, it has no relevance to the story. Yeah, it doesn't add to well, the story. Well, reading, yeah. reading, the, reading the script, I didn't read it as a, that type of organisation at all. I just read it as a humanitarian yeah. organisation. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, I, I think there's, there's a line in there. Maybe I did take it out. Who knows? <laughs> there's a line in there that was um, that was that was put that he that he requested to be put in there. And I think so. Maybe it did. Maybe it was an earlier draft. Maybe I did take it out. But there's a line. <laughs> there. But they're, they're the sort of battles that you do. Like the weird. Yeah. Some some of them are big battles, and some of them are these weird sort of like, you know, can you put in. Uh, this date, because if we make it this date, that's actually representative of when uh, my parents got married, and I think that'd be a nice little gesture. You go, it's nice, but that has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> like, do we have to suddenly say that the Phantom was born in seventeen, you know, in nineteen seventy-six? Yeah, that's the day that your parents got married. Yeah, like that's you know. So you kind of do. You just have to have. Uh, it's, yeah. it's just little battles all the time. And for me, all I wanted to do was just tell the story. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, that's, that's life, you know, you sort of just have to deal with everything as they, they go through. So, Did yeah. you have any of those type of battles with KFS? Now, the reason we ask is because KFS are known to be quite influential in the creative process um, yeah, with yeah. requests and what can and can't be included. Did you, uh, was there any changes? Yeah, so it was a weird thing. I wrote a, a first draft for them, um, which, had, which wasn't, to be honest, it wasn't very good. Um, and it was okay, but it was, 
it was like I, I didn't like it. It definitely wasn't this movie. Uh, and it was like when they had like ninjas flying around. It was like all this like weird stuff, right? And um, and it was a treatment. And they went, yeah, we really like this. And then I was like, actually, I don't. I think I want to go with this. And I pitched that. And it was a massive arm wrestle. So the script that you read, they didn't like. Oh, wow. So and they felt like the, the Phantom was too hardcore. They felt like he was, yeah. um, there was, there was too much sort of anger in Kit. And I'm like, dude, his dad got murdered pretty much in front of him. Like the guy's going to have some trauma issues. So, <laughs> um, so, and I wanted to have that because like I said, the, the, the idea was about modernizing the Phantom and bringing him into today's day. And the only way he can do that is if we explain without exposition who the Phantom is. So kid needs to learn who his, who his forefathers are and learn his story and then he needs to grow as a character or we're going to have no emotional connection to him. And that was what was important to me. I wanted people to be emotionally connected to the characters. And like you said, there's a lot of actual characters. Like I've done, I did a lot of research oh, and I, I, tried to, I tried to bring the, 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 the comic to life in a modern way yeah. that was not disrespectful to fans. And um, and that took time. And it took a lot longer than the four days in the first draft. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it did take time. And it took it took research. You know, like I said, I, I was a Phantom fan in the sense that I, I really liked Defenders of the Earth and I liked the, mm-hmm. the comics. And uh, but I wasn't hardcore. And if I was going to make a movie about it, I need to become a hardcore. I need to do the research. Yeah. And, um, and I still don't think I'm hardcore. But what I did was I did three years of hardcore research. And I tried to give, tried to make a film that was, um, that, that the fans would, would actually appreciate. So and what did that, um, what did that research look like, Tim? Like, obviously, um, you, the, the, the internet phantom wiki and that sort of thing. Um, less not less the internet. Like there was an almanac that came out just when I was doing it. And it was basically every, every episode of every phantom broken down with every character that ever appeared in every single Phantom uh, comic. Uh, and it was this almanac that just literally just came out at the time that I was writing. And I bought it and it was just a Bible. It was just a Bible of Phantom stuff. And I just read it page to page like 10 times and just got my head around. I went, well, that's a character I can use and that's a character I can use. And that's when I started seeing the, the, the similarities to in particular Star Wars. You know, right. seeing, seeing the twins, seeing Obi-Wan Kenobi as old man Moz, um, you know, seeing, seeing these, these archetype characters that are so successful in so many other, you know, Greek mythology and all the bits and pieces, it's, it's all there. And, and the question then became, well, what story do you tell? Do you tell the story of the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, swashbuckling years or do you tell the story of... The, you know, the 1920s phantom in his strongman suit doing his thing or do you tell a modern version of, you know, or do what Tom was doing, which was telling the, the future version, you know. And, um, and so for me, I thought, well, if I told a version now with flashbacks done appropriately, um, you know, you can tell the, all the backstory. You can have, yeah. there is that Pirates of the Caribbean sort of swashbuckling adventure. There's a the whole section. There's 20 minutes dedicated to the Phantom becoming the Phantom, you know, as Moz is telling the story of his, of the, you know, his forefathers and stuff like that. So I, for me as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, I was really excited because I got to do all of it. Yeah. You know, the only thing I didn't get to do was the future stuff. 
Um, but I did. I was able to do the whole history of the Phantom in two and a half hours. You know, so yeah. One, one thing I've, I've, I've really liked um, as I was uh, reading the script, um, like we've already said throughout the um, podcast, how you want to make it modern, make it gritty, and it's definitely a, a, a movie for today. Um, when we first get introduced to Kit, you know, after um, uh, Twenty One has has uh, been killed and then we see Kit later on in life and he's a, a Marine. And um, we see that there's a lot of, there's killing in the movie. And one of the things that might turn fans off and it kind of got me thinking, oh, what, 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 now what am I reading here? And we see Kit, you know, being a soldier and um, doing what soldiers do. But then once Kit becomes the Phantom, that was, you know, I don't think it was a spoiler there, um, <laughs> <laughs> that no longer happens. Like, right. the, the, um, was that something that happened by accident, or you had, you made sure that that and that was that was on purpose? Yeah, and and that bit at the end, which we're talking about, where the idea was that all of he has all the the marine armor that he has, mm. um, and the further he goes through it, the more his armor fails him. Oh, I love that. And so, the yeah. more his armor fails him, the more he becomes the phantom. Mm. To the point where he is literally standing in his underwear yeah. <laughs> with, with, with the purple dye on him, which is the you know the, the stuff which we set up in the film, um, and it's standing there, and he he is the Phantom. So, and it's about stripping away everything that was that was holding him back from being that character, and um, and about him embracing who he is. But like I said, the the thing that I love about it is that but is he the Phantom? Mm. Because you've got another person who's on the other side who's doing it naturally. She's always been doing it. She's she, she's been helping people. She's been looking after people. She's been fighting the good fight when when nobody else has been fighting the good fight. Mm. And um, and that to me, on a psychological level, was was what I really enjoyed because it's this moment of well, actually, who and the, the reality is they both are. Mm. Yeah. There can only be one, you know, <laughs> to to quote the Highlander. So so. You know, it's for me. It gives me goosebumps because I sit there and I go, "This, this, that's what's really cool to me." Because both of them have, truly, both of them have the right to be twenty-two. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like, and who's who's who is going to be that? You know, and and so I talked about, I talked about um, seeing trailers. Well, for Retribution, the opening of the trailer was Moz stepping over to Heloise and saying, "I think I made a mistake." Mm. And that's yeah. where it kind of start because it was like he's, you know, in the end of the day, he kind of makes the choice and who should who it should be, and um, and I just think just having that psychological aspect to the film where characters hold weight, and you know, and, and it's it's really about Kit growing up and becoming that, whereas which you know which he he's doing. And that's part of him not killing people. That's part of him mm. losing his armor. And, and but I think if if, the, if we were able to do that and we were able to go further, I would have been able to explore those, those that idea. And that's the point. That the Phantom doesn't kill people. And so when Kit decides to go, well, you know, I'm going to hunt these people down. It's like that is the wrong idea. That is the wrong idea. That is yeah. not what your that's not what your dad stood for. That is not what his you know your, your grandfather's for. So so again, it's about creating that drama. And he's not John Wick, is he? No, but he is. Mm. That's a thing. Yeah. Like he's got all the skills of John Wick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what what happens in that film without going into too much, you know, spoiler alert stuff as well. But it's it is it is his growth journey through that. Yeah. Um, 
And and what I wanted to do is, you know, will it piss off some fans? Well, if they stick with me, they won't. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get but, um, but, but, you know, I just think if, if things happen, I mean, everybody knows in a life, if, if things happen too fast, you don't go on the journey, then it's not worth, it's not worth telling the story, you know. And, and what I wanted to do is give everyone the phantom that they deserve. You know, that was the, that was the idea behind it. So, um, and so, yeah, yeah, he was a soldier and he, he takes up the mantle yeah. and then he gets yeah. to And a lot of the superhero movies that we've seen, which we've made mention before, they've all gone through very similar journeys as well, where they, you know, where they uh, have the self-doubt and, you know, Spider-Man's a, a classic example of where, you know, it's just a, a brooding emo teenager um, but you know that is, you know that is very uh, prevalent in 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 today's movies as well. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a scene in um, Superman that where um, Superman, you know, cracks General Zod's neck, and I did not like that because that's just to me is something that Superman would not do. And and so I, you know, in seeing that, I could understand why people would say, well, the Phantom wouldn't do that. Yeah, um, but you know, it, it, to me, it was, it was it was that once he became a phantom, he stopped doing that sort of stuff. He mm-hmm. stopped, and um, and you know, I think people are allowed to be lost on their way, and I think it makes for interesting stories. If I mean, if everybody was just good and everything was fine, then they're pretty boring stories. Yeah. It makes yeah. them more relevant. <laughs> the movie would be over in five minutes. Well, yeah, I mean, what? It, yeah. <laughs> There's a scroll up the screen, and then the yeah. end. Yeah. <laughs> Go read the book. But when um like when when superhero and and I think that's why a lot of these like superheroes are relevant is because they do struggle like a like a normal human being they are human yeah. and the Phantom um you know he is a human being um you know he does have he does have weaknesses he does have failings you know he's very yeah, yeah. very good at his job but he is a human being he's not you know he's not hasn't been zapped by gamma rays or uh, you know an, an alien or, or something like that. He is a human being. Yeah, he drinks milk. He drinks Super milk. Sad. Now, with the people that you were dealing with, now I, I, I'm pretty curious about the whole King Features thing and stuff like that. We've been trying to get King Features on um, on the podcast to kind of learn a little bit more from up there. Um, we've been yeah, I, like. Seeing you've you know you've actually dealt with them and all that. Are they like like like, like you mentioned? Um, what was the guy's name? Was it Robert? Robbie? Rocky. Rocky. So you know these people that you're dealing with. Are they younger people? Are they older people that are like you know like what what was? Yeah, I mean Rocky, he's a really twitched on guy. You know he's um he's uh, you know he's from New York. You know he's got that New York sort of. I mean he's he's a New York CEO. So, yeah. um, did they get the Phantom? Like, did they know who the Phantom was, or yeah, like, he knows, like he knows he knows his products? Yeah, yeah. I, would, I, I don't think I think Rocky's very sharp. I don't have any issues with Rocky. I think he's um he's he knows his business and he knows you know Hearst and he knows what what he's doing. Um, you know, if you can't get him, it's because he's probably really busy. <laughs> he's, um, you know, he's he's a he's a busy guy. But they aren't very hands on. They don't do things. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they they left me alone to write the script. That wasn't a script. Like I said, they actually, you know, I think 
if they, if we were to make this film today, they might fight me on a couple of things on it, um, or even just reject the script completely now. So um, I don't know where they are with their company, but that which is a, which is a weird thing to say because you know that's the movie we we're going to make, but you never know. Um, again, yeah, I yeah. stand by the script. I think that it's it's one of the best things I've written, and I, I love it. So, and reading it again, you know, a couple of days ago. Um, I was just like, man, this this movie's so cool. Like, I'm really mm. so bummed that I, had, I didn't get a chance to see this on the big screen. So, mm. um, yeah. So, I but yeah, look, I think I think the guys at King's Features are are full on into it, and I don't think they're, um, you know, I think they're pretty savvy when it comes to this sort of stuff. So, mm. yeah. No, I was just curious on like what their, you know, kind of like what their knowledge or what they were about the fan. Was it just a was it just a you know something that's just part of the job, or were they like truly invested yeah. in the character? I think that's always the fear, isn't it? That the text in the in the ivory towers who don't really under, feel feel the passion like we do is. That, uh, I look, I can't I can't talk to you about whether they feel the passion or not. Um, I know he, you know, he runs a business. Yeah. yeah. I think if if you can make business sense to him, you know, I mean, the big thing I said to said to them is like I said I said look the Phantom isn't Predator and he isn't Batman so if you go down that path if that's a path you choose I think it's the wrong path like I just yeah. think it's the wrong path like this just having nice audience yeah I just think yeah. yeah I think I think you know I think we could do something with the character as is so I don't think we need to change him into something else um you know yeah so I don't look I don't know man it's it's, it's a it's a tough call um it's been over a decade since I've had any joy out of um, out of Hearst, but um, you know King Features, but it's um, you know I mean they're still there, they're still on the rights, and if if I had the opportunity to make this film, I would, you know, and I, but I would want to do what I was saying. I would like to do Phantom One, Phantom Two, Handbrake. Yeah. Um, I understand, I understand Flash could be hard, but I at least want to do those. If I could do those three, I reckon, mm. like I said, if we can get the Flash people on the on the same page, I'm happy to write it. I'm happy to just say can you can you write it but make sure it fits into this little bracket sort of thing. Arc, yeah. Um, yeah. you know um, you know it's for me it's not an ego thing it's not a I want to be in charge of everything or whatever I just I feel like I have a very solid plan um, and as you can see from the first script that you've read it is a solid film it's not it's not wishy-washy and it's not all over the place it's definitely not like the 45 pages that I read um, which I, I don't, I mean, it wasn't even, I don't even, I can't even explain it. I mean, I wish I, I still had it. I probably could find it somewhere. I should, if I can find it, I'll send it to you. It's, um, <laughs> no, we would appreciate that. Yeah. I don't know if you would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, it'll just be, it'll be curious having a look at the, um, well, I've, I've got a couple of the movies, the, the 96 movie scripts and it's interesting <laughs> going through it and reading it and, um, I've got, you know, I've got like comic book scripts and, and stuff and the, the nerd inside of me likes the, the process, you know, getting it from the bit of paper to the artist doing the scribbles and the pencils yeah, to yeah. the finished product and hearing the stories behind it. It's the same as what you've told us, the, the, the nerd in me and I'm sure the hundreds of other people that are going to be listening to this as well, the nerd in all of them as well are going to really appreciate um it's uh, so so close to happen, man. It was so close, it's like <laughs> right there. In your um, in your research that you did, um, or back in the day, now <laughs> sounds weird saying that. Um, did you 
Did you ever get in contact with any other Phantom writers? For example, um, Tony DePaul, who does the, the daily script? No. no. I, just, I just based it on, um, I based it on the, just the, the history. You know, like I said, I, I was really lucky to have this almanac Bible, which was just, it basically covered every character that ever appeared in any, and what episodes they appeared in. And was, I mean, it was, it was this thick. It was like, mm-hmm. it was ridiculous. Um, but it, it, it was my Bible. It's basically, it's so weird. I just walked into a shop. I think I was in Melbourne at the time. And um, I just walked into a shop and it was just like, it was just there. Would you, um, would you still have that, Tim? Because I'm, I'm curious about that book. I don't think I've ever... Um, yeah. I mean, it's really weird, man. It was like it was just sitting there in a, in a news agency. Um, yeah. I look, I could look for... I haven't seen it in a, in a long time. It was pretty <laughs> tattered and torn by the time. Yeah, it, but, um, but it was definitely my lifeline. And if, if you guys, as you said, you go, oh, there's all these characters in there. They're all true to their characters. But that's because mm. of that almanac. That was why. I was able to go, well, who is that person and where do they fit in and, and what can I do with that character and then how can I make sure it's the same character? Yeah. And so that's I, I it was it was meant to be and hence yeah. the reason why I'm surprised the movie hasn't been made yet, you know. It's yeah. like, it felt like everything was very serendipitous and everything felt like it was right. And maybe it was maybe it wasn't right to be making a movie for, you know, a Libyan um, dictator. Yeah, maybe, well, maybe that was the thing. I'm not I'm not sure that that really lives up lives up to the Phantom Ethos either. <laughs> exactly right. So, I would have I would have I would have forgiven it if we got that. <laughs> I would have forgiven it if I got the paycheck. I tell you what, <laughs> we really need the money for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> could have been could have been his lasting legacy. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Um, I can't remember. I was going. To, I had a question, but I can't remember it anymore. Yeah. I think that might. I think it might have been the the encyclopedia that Jim Shepard released. Might have been that. Might have been around that time. Um, because yeah, it's. Um, I know that. So that might be it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it was. It was a godsend. Mm. It really was. It was. It was. It was amazing as a writer to have every character that ever existed yeah. and to be able to pull out people and see where they could fit and make, and make them work. It's just, a, it was just, yeah. a, so, and like I said, I literally walked into a, into a shop and I, I was at the time I was just buying up fan comics wherever I can find them, you know, because I was just trying to get as much. Cause I mean, it's like, it's a big deal, right? You're like, you know, yeah. all the, you know, I'm an independent filmmaker who's made a couple of like low budget, crappy little films. And all of a sudden they're like, um, you've got a, a shot at writing a proper big $100 million movie. And so, uh, oh, sorry, can I, can I just get a, uh, we, or we've talked about Lee Fork's character for nearly two hours now and we haven't mentioned Lee Fork and, and he's the writer who was uh, created all of this. As, as a writer yourself, um, can you give us a bit of a comment about the world that Lee Fork created and, and the way that um, all of these, the, the universe that, you, that you've stepped into and, and uh, written your own part for? Yeah, I mean, look, first of all, i got to say it was an absolute, you know, it was an honour to be even in a position where I could do something like that. Um, I felt I felt that Lee, I mean, he, he created the first superhero, like the first costume superhero, that was, that was him. And um, so there was, there was just so much pressure for me to, to do something that lived up to a standard of quality 
that this this person created, you know, now a hundred years ago, um, and uh, and for me it was um, it, it was actually just about trying to honour his world, um, and it was about trying to to make sure. I don't know. Can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, that's right. We're two hours in. If you, <laughs> we can put a beep in if we really need I, to. <laughs> I um, I had a chat. It's funny because we mentioned it because I had a chat about this whole scenario with James Cameron, and um, and as I was because I was writing it at the time and I was I was chatting with James Cameron because whether I had a thing on him and um, and uh, and I met him because he was he was there for Sam. He was doing his thing, and uh, and he said to me these words. He said. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> and and that's how I felt. Like I felt like I, I had a lot of responsibility. Yeah. And I think I think the thing is that Lee Folk's world was created for the nineteen twenties, right? So it it felt like that. It felt like, you know, you had your strong man with his underwear on the outside and the you know, so so but beyond the physicalities of the character, there was this there was this there's so much to it there was you know you had you had the the ring you know versus the one that was closest to his heart which mm. was his friends there's there's there was thought put into it it wasn't just random mm. there was a whole process that Lee Falk had created in about you know really morality and and doing right and doing good and helping people and and that 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 was a generational thing and that was, it was passed down for so long. So I think, I think his world and I found it even, even in Mandrake and all that sort of stuff, I found that world that was created. Um, it was, it was fascinating. I think he, I think he did a really fascinating job. I mean, I don't, I, I don't wish to sort of sound airy fairy about it, but I, I, I think the biggest thing for me was just the responsibility of, of carrying that story forward. Um, and I was going to be doing it on a level that most writers don't get to do it on because it was looking to be a big tentpole blockbuster. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's just the, the, the amount of responsibility I felt was, was so large that I, I realised I couldn't fuck it up. Like I needed to do it right. And, um, and the biggest thing for me was trying to connect the audience to the characters. Because yeah. I knew if I could do that, and that's actually emotional connection in any script is the hardest thing to do. Yeah. But I knew if I could get that, I can get people invested in the characters, then we've got a movie. Yeah. Take, yeah. All the set pieces, you know, the, the lava and the explosions and the fighting and the thing, all that's great. But if you don't care about what's going on and you don't care about the characters. And yeah. so for me, it was about that. It was about honouring is about honouring the characters, yet making it modern to a point where people in today's yeah. world can understand it. That was that was it, and it's it sounds easy, but it was actually quite a hard thing to, mm. to do. And I feel like I kind of I kind of got there. Like I said, I'd still do another draft on the script if I was shooting it, <laughs> but, but I feel like it's it's kind of there, and um, it's definitely it's de- I'm I'm definitely proud of the film. Like, and um, I you know. If I ever had the opportunity to make it, I, I would. I would obviously jump at it. But it's um, it's just one of those things that it was an absolute blessing for me. Uh, it did nothing for my career. <laughs> like it basically, <laughs> it took me out of the game for about five years. Yeah, so, really. so it didn't really do anything for me on that level. But what it did do is it, it got me into working with studios. It got me working with you know large 
intellectual properties that weren't mine. Um, and, um, and like I said, I, I didn't take that responsibility lightly. I felt, I felt a lot of pressure and not in a bad way. I don't, when I say I felt a lot of pressure, it wasn't like I was, I just, I just, I understood how important it was for me not to fuck it up in order to, to make sure I do what's right by the original material, the Lee Fox, you know, mm. what he started and also to to give the fan base something that they can they can be you know they can rally behind get excited about and want to see more of because that's the thing like I didn't want to see more of the '96 version like I wanted to see more of what I was writing um, which sounds possibly a bit egotistical but that's that's the movie I wanted to see that's the movie I wanted to see I wanted to see that fan and kicking ass and and having that rich culture. Um, and I, I wanted it to be, you know, I didn't want to be confined by G-rating sort of um, storytelling, but I didn't want to go the whole R-rated either. I don't want to go Deadpool. Yeah. It's it's like surely there's a happy medium, and I think yeah. Marvel nailed it. Marvel nailed the happy medium, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and it seems uh, like this was Marvel before Marvel. Yeah, well, we, you know, well, to be fair, they had Iron Man out. But we were at the same time. We were at the same sort of time. And that's the thing. People are like, oh, yeah, we've seen this film or whatever. And, and it's, it's a movie that fits in today's day. But this was a movie which I, I literally wrote 12 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, so that's when we did the first draft of it. So, so it's, um, yeah, it was, it was at the right time. It could, have, it could have led to bigger and better things for all the fan base out there. Um, and, you know, what, what went wrong was that, you know, we we weren't coming from inside a studio and purchasing. We were independent filmmakers who raise a lot of money to do it, and we're doing it ourselves. Um, and we had a studio behind us, but that was in the back end. It wasn't where it, if it was driven by a studio at the front, we, it, things might have. Like, we definitely wouldn't have had money coming out of Olivia. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that, that was the thing, and um, and so I, I obviously major disappointment in um, not being able to deliver the film. And like I said, now that you guys have read the script, you know what I'm talking about. It's there, there was something really special in that in that script, and um, like you know, Retribution would have been just as special, and Mandrake would have been just as special. And I just you know, I felt like if I could nail those three, we'd, we'd get Flash in there as well. So, yeah. so Retribution and Mandrake. Did you, how far along were you with the scripts on those? Um, well, the funny thing is I'm actually repurposing Mandrake to oh, okay. a film, which I'm just going to make myself. Um, so, so I'm, that's chipping away, but that's, it's a bit of a bigger budget. Um, and so I just, I'll probably put that on the burner for about four or five years and do that down the track. Yeah. Um, Retribution was just a story point. Like it just at, at blocks. Um, I knew what happened. I knew yep. the style of film it was. It's much more. I mean, it's basically going after the Singh Brotherhood, um, and it had a more of a European feel to it. So okay. um, it had a much more sort of Jason Bourne sort of vibe going on for it. Um, and that was the whole idea: is basically taking the Phantom out of the jungle and bringing him into today's day. And yeah. Um, and yeah, so it, it it sort of it felt more like a Mission Impossible movie. Okay, uh, that sort of vibe. 
So good, um, fun characters, and but yeah. just a lot of action, lots of stuff happening around yeah. the world. So another Tom Cruise reference. <laughs> he, could, he could do the Phantom, bro. <laughs> well, if he did, we'll have to have everyone will have to be smaller as well. <laughs> very short pygmies. <laughs> Or you'd have to wear big platforms. <laughs> Dude, that guy's crazy though, right? Like the, the stunts that he does, I don't even want to talk about it. Like it's, uh, he's insane. Oh, <laughs> oh look, we give him a stick, but I love his movies. I know. He, um, his new movie is actually the, the literally flying into space to make it. I'm oh, really? Sure. Like literally flying into space. That's not what that Elon Musk fellow or something, is it? Yeah, they'll be doing that, but they're doing it's a space movie and he's doing it in space. Oh, yeah. Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Uh, Best of luck to him. Absolutely. Um, well, I don't think I have any more questions. Uh, I, I've, I've really enjoyed tonight. Uh, what about you guys? Do you have any qu- more questions? No, I, I tapped out with my Tony DePaul one. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, um, I, I don't have any other questions for you, um, Tim, but just a, again, just a huge thank you for your time yeah. tonight. And certainly for sharing the script with us, it's a, it's a huge privilege for us as, as Phantom fans um, to, to have been able to read that for you. I guess it's a good opportunity for you to plug anything that you'd like. Um, people have listened to this to go and check out your, your MySpace blog if it's still going or uh, <laughs> how, can, how can people find out what, did, what, what you're up to? I don't even know. Is like, is my MySpace blog still going? I, like, I, no, like, I, I actually <laughs> did look for it, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> I'm excited by that. I'm like, I want to see what I did back in 2006. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I mean, I, I, there's there's no real massive plugs. I mean, I've got like I said, I've got a movie coming out um, later next year called Shadow Wars, um, which I'm really proud of. That's one we, we did with John Rhys-Davies and uh, Tasma Walton and um, Peter Phelps. Some really sort of cool sort of Jay Lagaya. He's great. You know, actually, I, I think Jay Lagaya, if you ever get a chance to work with him in anything, he's fantastic. If you get a chance to interview him, he's, he's fantastic. He, I'd stick him in any film. Um, you know, he's just, he's just a, a cool dude. Um, well, if he's a Phantom fan, we'll get him on. That way we can link him in. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, he's he one of the guys in Xena as well. So he's, you know, yeah. sort of old school. He, he, could, he, could, he could easily be in Phantom. I'll, I'll stick him in the movie. There's a, you want a casting person? Jailer guy. I'll stick him in there. there you go. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, so we got that coming out. So that's Shadow Wars that's coming out next year. Um, and then on Halloween, um, I guess, wait, wait until next Halloween. You can watch it then. It's, it's a Halloween movie. It's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with that on Halloween movie, um, like you said, it was released in Europe and, and the US. But if it, it, was it released in theatres? Isn't everything shut down over in COVID or no, was it, it on... It was um, released in certain parts of America. It was released in theatres and uh, VOD. Um, Video on demand. Yeah, yeah, video on demand. And then it was released in the the UK purely on streaming platforms. But it was everywhere. They did a really good job. Pretty much every streaming platform uh, leading up to Halloween, my, my movie poster was there on the, on the front. It's every time you turn on your TV, my movie poster was there. So, oh, that's handy. Uh, yeah, which was kind of cool. So we, we actually got a wide release and we're pretty much on, on all the major platforms. So we were on like 30 different streaming services. Um, but it was one of those where you pay to either buy it or you, you rent it for three bucks or whatever it is. Mm. 
Oh, I don't know how much money we made, but but it's definitely sold. And um, like I said, we we got mixed reviews. We got some people who just really loved it and really got what we're doing, and then other people just were like, "You are the worst filmmaker that's ever lived. <laughs> <laughs> Go and jump off a bridge or something." And I'm just like, "So I'm, I'm not going to listen to either. I'll sit somewhere." No. Else. <laughs> at, least, at least they're talking about you. It's better than no one mentioning it. <laughs> and look, look, this movie was uh, on Halloween. Was a movie that we, like I said, we shot for for no money. It was literally my side project. I, I shot it so I can make a movie, uh, so I can finish the other movie. You know, the whole idea was just to to make another movie to sell to to finish the other one. Um, so we'll see how that that if that process worked out. If we did anything, <laughs> but uh, I won't know until next year because the way the the accounting works is that you sort of find out how much money you've made every four or five months and um so yeah so i, I won't I'm, it's a mystery to me i know it's sold i know i can see that it's people have been here i think we had over two million hits on my web page in the weeks leading oh, up wow. yeah so it was, it was quite a lot of people mm. um and then obviously nothing after halloween because you know like i said you can't release on halloween on Christmas. So. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully some of our international audiences have seen it and uh, for Australian listeners, um, perhaps about 11 months from now, it might uh, might hit our streaming services. Absolutely. Well, the Germans called it, they've released it on Blu-ray and they called it, um, in German, they, they called it The Night of the Horror Clowns because it's a, it's a clown movie. I was like, man, I sh- that's a great title. I wish I actually called the movie A Night of the Horror. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you got to love the Germans, man. They, they're, they're all over it. <laughs> cool. Yeah, no, I just, yeah, just really appreciate your time. Uh, I know we've taken up uh, two, almost two and a half hours of your time, uh, Timothy, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, a great honour. Um, it's a pity that we weren't able to talk to you post the movie but um who knows maybe we will see it um maybe someone will listen to this and um it will kind of get the ball uh rolling again but um yeah it's um yeah i really enjoyed it really enjoyed the um uh really enjoyed reading it so um yeah again again just want to say thank you because that's the thing i mean i i made it for people to watch yeah. So, you know, 10 years later, to be sitting here chatting to you guys, at least, you've, you know, you get where, what we're looking at doing. And, and that's, yeah. so it's, for me, that's fantastic. So I appreciate you taking the time and inviting me on and having a read. Yeah, I, I remember reading the news about it 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago, um, and discussing it on the old Phantom Forum. Uh, some of the oldies who are listening to this would have, um, who would remember that uh, platform? And uh, there was a lot of fans that were excited about it. Um, uh, what was kind of funny is after this, we stopped hearing about it. We kind of got the sci-fi uh, Phantom pilot instead, yeah. which yeah. Yeah. it kind of missed the mark a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, if there's anyone out there and you're listening to this and you've got uh, some money spare, uh, make sure you hit up um, Timothy Boyle. And what's your website so they can get a hold of you? Boilingpointpictures.com. There you go. And again, that will be in the show notes as well. Um, so, yeah, no. So, from myself, uh, I just want to say thank you. And uh, I'll let uh, Dan and Stephen say uh, thank you as well. Yeah, thanks again, Tim. Super appreciate your time and uh, and sharing your vision with us. It's been uh, fantastic for us, and and I say that with the PH. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yes, thanks, Tim. It's, it's been great listening to you. Terrific listening to you. Tell your stories about you know 
what nearly came to be and what hopefully can can come to be and and um, your knowledge of the phantom you know you, you're doing it well we think you did a great job and we hope to see it soon yeah, <laughs> yeah. thanks i really appreciate it i really do so and keep up the good work keep doing what you do no worries thank yeah. you so um if you are uh, a new listener, you can find out about us on our website, which is chroniclechamber.com. Uh, again, uh, the script will be on our uh, Phantom Preservation Project, so if you want to know more about that, you can go on our website. Uh, you can email us, which is chroniclechamber at gmail.com. We're all over iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube and your favourite uh, Android podcast apps. Um, so if you want to listen to more of our podcasts, make sure you subscribe to us on there. We're all over social media as well, which is uh, Chronicle Chamber, which is on Facebook. Uh, and then on Twitter, we're at Chronicle Tweets. Instagram, we're at Chronicle Chamber. And again, as we said, we are on YouTube as well. A huge shout out to all of our listeners. Uh, we, we, we love you guys. We thank you for listening to us. Uh, from myself, uh, happy Phantom. Happy Phantoming, everybody. Happy Phantoming, one and all. Upon the skull of the man who killed his dad, he said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy, injustice and cruelty, and all my sons will follow me, so evildoers will believe that this man cannot die. The Phantom, the ghost who walks. The Phantom, enemies beware, the Phantom's always there, but you won't find the Phantom. Find you.